podcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 720 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, and I'm joined today by the aforementioned lovely, talented, scholarly co-host, Brittany Page. Well, we had to restart the show because Popeye started... Uh, Clickety-clack. Uh, <laughs> Clickety-clacking on the bamboo floor thing. Chair mat. Chair mat, yeah. Thank you. Sometimes I have the brain fart where I can't remember the name of things. It's starting to concern me a little bit. Although, anyway, Sanjay Gupta just wrote a book about keeping your brain sharp, and he said, you know, things like this are normal. So I'm keeping that in mind. But I remember I couldn't remember what the the game pool was one time, and I, I was talking to someone, and I said, you know, it's like the the game with the green table and the sticks, and you hit the oh, balls, pool. yeah, billiards, yeah. And I was <laughs> describing what it was instead of being able to name it. Not a good situation. That happens to me. Does it? Well, there used to be a game that, that used to be, like it doesn't exist anymore, but the game, like uh, the seven seven le- levels of Kevin Bacon, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And I used to be real good at that game. Mm-hmm. And the game goes that you, you name an actor, mm-hmm. and in six degrees, I think it's six... In six degrees or less, I can connect Kevin Bacon to that particular actor that you named. Right. I used to be real, like, very uh, practiced at it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I used to, like, brain fart on Bruce Willis or... Now I'm fucking forgetting her name. Um, Meg Ryan. Mm. That was the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad I remembered her name. <laughs> <laughs> um. And uh, but you know it's little things like that, like a famous actor. I'm forgetting who they are. Yeah, you know a little concerning. No, it's normal. It's not concerning. Well, you know when your memory has been super fantastic, and then you start to notice just the the slight decline in performance. Well, it's not ideal. When your memory was great, when it was remarkable, it's because you didn't have that many things you had to fucking remember. That's true. Now that you're an adult with actual important things to stuff in there. A higher cognitive load. Yeah, well, you you said it more professionally and uh, educated than I, but that's what it is, I would assume. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all right. I think you're right. I'm glad we solved that. I think you're right about that. I'm very glad. <laughs> so the other thing I'm glad about mm-hmm. and a little nervous about this week yeah. is the the young and spry Popeye oh. is having surgery on Thursday. He is. So if you're a if you're a positive vibe person, uh, Popeye would appreciate some po- positive vibes because he's having his uh his ear drum, his ear canal just bored out. He's not going to be able to hear out of that ear after he has a total ear ablation. Yeah. Is that, that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yep. They're going to remove his ear eardrum and 
all that. He's just going to be deaf and blind Mm -hmm. out of that right side. Well, and if you're wondering why that's happening, it's because he has had a long-term chronic ear infection. And when we say long-term, we adopted him on February 23rd, two years ago. So he has had an ear infection that entire time. And we have been fighting it that entire time. Yeah, and it's not, it hasn't gone unmedicated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to the point where we had the specific bacteria identified and like specific solutions created to target this particular bacteria, and that still didn't work. Um, and most recently, they went in there to try to see what was going on, like deeper in the ear, and it was so impacted they couldn't even get get past whatever is in the ear to, you know. They don't know if like, it's a polyp or just a swollen because of infection. They don't know. Yeah. So they recommended this is the next best thing because he's suffering. I mean, he's shaking his head well, this regularly. Is, this isn't next best thing. This is last ditch effort, last um, alternative. This is it. Yeah. I it's mean, the extreme measure. I guess I'm saying it's just the next step, yeah, not the yeah. next best thing, but the next step in the process when you have an ear infection that is getting worse and is resistant to treatment. So it's unfortunate, although we were talking today about how interesting it is to be a dog. And I mean, if you were a person and you know you knew you had surgery on Thursday, you're going to be put under, you'd be stressed out. You'd be a little yeah. freaked out. Losing I mean, sleep and shit. Yeah, depending on who you are. If you don't care about those things, you don't care. But he has no idea. And even when he gets there, he's going to have no idea. He thinks, oh, I'm just here at this torture place again where they're going <laughs> to trim my nails. Right, and- right. He probably <laughs> thinks that's the extent of it is getting his nails trimmed. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't do that. Because no. of the ferocity of the murder that would happen Correct. on the part of Popeye. Yeah, yeah. His... um. His mouth starts to quiver, and he has a very mean look. It's very scary. <laughs> He's so great. Anyway. So we outsource that. <laughs> that is enough. That is enough of our personal life, Brittany Page. Well, we think it's important that the audience send the the positive vibes to the pop, and... um He's been doing okay. He's been hanging in there, and hopefully all goes well on Thursday. He could give two shits less right now that we're talking about him even. He's, yeah. He is crashed out, dead to the world. In his studio bed. In, his, in the studio bed. That's yeah, what we that's call right. it. That's right. <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. Thank you for joining us. The 720th episode of the program, as we often do. Let's start with some listener communication. If you two would like to sound off before we play these voicemails, you can call 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo. And I think we should start with an email today uh, to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. Listen to your comments on Bill Maher and, as usual, agree with you. People like him are possibly more dangerous than your run-of-the-mill tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. As you stated, he has that veneer of authenticity because he recognizes that climate change is caused by humans. I remember Politically Incorrect getting canceled because he was one of the few voices asking why the terrorists hijacked the planes on 9-11 in the first place. He was decried as a traitor. I also remember him tossing out a 9-11 truther in his audience on real time. Now here he is spreading fairy tales about COVID. Michael Moore falls into the same category. Last year, he produced a documentary released on YouTube claiming that electric cars are horrible for the environment and that the only way to solve climate change is to have fewer children. The claims in that doc were based on electric cars 10 to 20 years ago. Lithium batteries are bad for the environment, and because he mentioned that, people will ignore all the falsehoods he made. 
I don't know how we can combat the rampant spread of conspiracy theories in this country when it feels like everyone is spreading some false narrative. Roxanne. I agree. Well, I, I agree about a lot. Um, I also agree about Michael Moore. I think he's more of a, of a hindrance than he is a help. One thing is if you're going to be making documentaries and you have to rely on artful editing and leaving certain things out and being dodgy relative to how you present the information, then what what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the truth is what should be valued. And if you have the truth on your side, you don't need to do all those um, underhanded tricks. And yeah. he, he for sure does that. But as far as Bill Maher, I like that. that he has the veneer of authenticity. Mm-hmm. There is. There's kind of a, a patina of of liberal rationality around him mm-hmm. because of the few things that he does trust science on. Mm-hmm. The problem is he's not trusting science fully because whatever quote-unquote common sense he's using to not believe science mm-hmm. isn't being uh, spread across the board. Yeah, well, I, I also feel like he gets some sort of protection from like liberal atheists in particular, because he's such a prominent atheist voice. Although I would argue, is he the best, most prominent atheist voice? Is he someone that atheists really want actually being somewhat of a representative for atheism and atheists? Uh, not the best one, I would I would think. Although, are the ones who are prominent the best ones? Again, no. Yeah, I, so, I would say no. <laughs> for most of them, yeah. Well, and related to the best representatives for atheism, Ryan Bell was recently on the Christianity Without the Crap podcast. Oh, that's right. And it was kind of a meeting of worlds for me because Christianity Without the Crap is hosted by Mark Trailer, my former pastor, my former childhood pastor. And Ryan Bell, obviously, is our friend that we met um, in, in California. So... It was interesting, but one of the things that I loved about that episode was Ryan Bell expressing his atheism in such a way that you feel like, wow, this is a really compassionate, reasonable, logical person. And it's it's become, I think, for Ryan, less about the question of whether or not there's a God and more about humanism and how to take care Absolutely. of people. and. For Bill Maher, I think he still is kind of stuck in that, like, wanting to troll religious people and troll people. And, of course, you know, he's a comedian. He has a late-night show. That's part of what he's going to do. But is that something that is going to change people's minds? Is it something that you find interesting? I mean, it gets kind of old after a while. And that's really how I feel when I watch his show. It's just kind of it's kind of old. When we watch the clips on YouTube of his show, we don't tune into his show. Yeah, when we watch the clips. I don't know why I feel the need to clarify <laughs> that. But we're not boosting his ratings. On YouTube we are. Well, I mean, <laughs> maybe. I mean, some of the clips I see are just like on Twitter. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like that, the one that we that we downloaded, that we played from the show last episode mm-hmm. was just from Twitter. So we're not giving that guy ratings there. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's very important to me. It is. I I see that. And uh, I will be sure not to let it happen again. And thank you for the email, Roxanne. Yes. We appreciate it very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moving on to a voice mail. Hey, this is Crystal from New Hampshire. Um, You're talking about teachers going back to schools 
before they get vaccinated. And I'd just like to say that I'm eight months pregnant. I'm a first year teacher in New Hampshire and I have to teach in person. Uh, I was able to get some accommodations so that my weekly exposures to children went down from 130 to 50. Um, but that's where I am. Um, I am classified as high risk and I signed up for the vaccine the second I could, even though they have not tested it on pregnancy and, um, April. So I will already have my baby before I can get my vaccine. And then a week later I have to go back to teaching because I don't qualify for FMLA. Uh, all I can say is this freaking sucks. And I'm glad that you guys bring it up every once in a while because I often feel like, most people do not understand or care about this very real reality. Have a nice day. Uh, Popeye's obviously the best part. Um, y'all are great, though. Bye. Obviously. Obviously. Crystal, finally somebody who fucking gets it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Crystal, I I feel for you on that. And it it's so tough with teachers being told that they need to go back to the classroom without first being vaccinated with restaurant employees being told they need to go to back to work without being vaccinated. It, yeah. It's especially with the rollout of the vaccines as it is now. I mean, I, I think Bloomberg, their vaccine tracker, they say that given how many vaccines have been given right now, we're on track to vaccinate 75% of the population in 10 months. Yeah. 10 more months Not before great. we reach what is close to herd immunity. We've, we've just, as a country, we've got such a long way to go relative to healthcare for one, obviously. But it just seems to me, it, it just, it's such a bummer of the things that we prioritize and deprioritize in America. And teachers should be like on par with the military. We talk about the heroes, the heroes, the first responders. Teachers are the true first responders. They are there in a preventative measure to ensure sometimes that those who end up engaging with first responders don't end up there. And we are doing our country, our future, a disservice by treating teachers the way we do, by paying teachers the way we don't. It's a problem. And hopefully, hopefully, this is one of those things that I hope Joe Biden will get the, the act of the federal government together, undo the damage that Betsy DeVos did to the Department of Education, and make some um, momentous changes relative to how we deal with education in America. Well, and even I'm not sure what these governors are doing, like Andrew Cuomo uh, wanting indoor dining open at 25 percent capacity in New York City by Valentine's Day or on Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is one of the most popular holidays for eating in restaurants. It's a restaurant holiday, just like um, Mother's Day is. And then he also announced that wedding receptions could resume with Uh. up to like 150 people a month after indoor dining reopens. And it just seems concerning because these are going to be like super spreader events, more variants of COVID possibly. Um, And we're trying to get this pandemic under control. That's the goal, right? So why are we doing these things 
that are putting people in a position to be forced to wait on these terrible people that insist on going and eating indoors on Valentine's Day in New York City. I hope it's not this, but this is my fear. That now that a Democrat is in office, all these bad decisions can be made because Donald Trump wouldn't be promoting that type of behavior. Like, COVID was handled well by Democrats when Donald Trump was in office because Donald Trump was advocating for all of the irresponsible behaviors. No, don't close anything down. Democrats wanted to keep it closed. But now that we have a Democrat in office, there's no foil to to fight against. Donald Trump's not there as a villain. You know what I mean? Am I making myself clear at all? Yeah. Well, and I'm interested in... I had a friend recently reach out to me and say that she was experiencing some peer pressure related to all of this COVID stuff. She lives in an area where there are a lot of conservatives who don't believe in masks and don't take COVID seriously. And so it's been hard for her to... In deep red Trump country. Yeah, to turn down social gathering invitations and to continue to live in accordance with her values related to the pandemic and taking it seriously. So I would be... Doesn't seem like a hard choice to me. Yeah. um, I... We have mutual friends who are behaving irresponsibly as well, people I love, and uh, they're not doing the right fucking thing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it, it wouldn't... It's not difficult for me personally, and it wouldn't be difficult for me personally. I've had to navigate some complicated situations when all this happened, encountering people who are skeptics, and it it hasn't been difficult for me to exert myself in those situations. But for people who do struggle, for people that do experience that peer pressure, I'm curious, just for my friend's sake, how they have coped with that or how they have addressed that with people in their lives that aren't taking it seriously and that are making it a political issue because now it has become one because of Donald Trump related to the masks and taking COVID seriously. It's now, are you a conservative? Oh, well, we know that you must be thinking that it's just the flu and you don't want to wear a mask. Or are you a liberal? Oh, well, you must love to wear masks and you must take it very seriously. It's become associated with your political affiliation, which is complicated people wanting to actually follow the guidelines, right, in in certain areas. In certain cases, that's not the case, though. What do you mean by that? It doesn't break down just by party, though, because some of the people I'm talking about are not conservatives. They're not Trump people. Mm -hmm. They're just acting like assholes Mm -hmm. because I I guess they can't delay uh, satisfaction and gratification of their social norm normative behavior mm-hmm. for a few months mm-hmm. like you and i love to go out to restaurants and eat out and have some drinks and have a good time and uber home yeah and we haven't done that for going on a year yeah it'll be a year in march it's not that we oh easy to not do that no we really want to <laughs> get it back out there and hit the restaurant circuit yeah i mean <laughs> It, it would be so great after work on a Friday, you go to a restaurant, you sit at the bar, you talk to the bartender, you talk to people at the bar. You know, it, it that is something that was 
a very fun thing in our lives that we enjoyed doing. And it's been a bummer not being able to do it. But like you said, it's been relatively easy when you put things in context. And the context being that you could kill somebody by not being safe. Yeah. And I I mean, that's as serious as it gets, you know. Um, and I, that helps keep me in check. I don't know. But it doesn't seem to be enough for a lot of people. Unfortunate. Yeah. It is unfortunate. Anyway, the peer pressure question I'd be interested in. If people have encountered it where they feel like judged because they're wearing a mask or... And how do they deal with it? Yeah. How did you deal with it? I'd be interested to hear that. 657-464-7609 or I doubt it at dollamore.com. And another COVID-related topic. Hey, guys. Carissa. Um, so I just listened to the most recent episode and... You guys are talking about uh, the COVID relief bill, comparing what, like, Democrats versus what Republicans want to put in it, like, how much they want to put. And, like, I, I like, I'm very, um, despite what a smartass I can be, I'm actually very empathetic. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like you, Jesse. I, like, cry and stuff, mostly for animals, less so for people. But, um, <laughs> but I, you know, it, it's still, like, when I see, like, people having a hard time and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, my God, how can we not help them? How can we not? So, Jesse, you used to be a Republican, and, like, I have this image of Republicans, and it's getting worse and worse of, like, you, they just don't care. I, How did you – I don't understand. Like, are all Republicans just assholes? I'm, I can't believe you were ever, like, an asshole, Jesse. I mean, maybe you were. Brittany, can you speak to that? I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I don't, I don't get it, like, because you're – you're such an actual human, <laughs> and that's something that, like, it seems at least the Republicans in power seem to lack. So I just, I don't, I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush, but I just don't understand when you see somebody suffering, especially no fault of their own. I don't understand how you cannot want to help them. Anyway, love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. It's a, it is an interesting question. It gives me an opportunity to actually talk about my conversion yeah. from Republican, mm-hmm. which really, I mean, when we started the show, I was not a Republican. I might have considered myself conservative adjacent or still romanticizing elements of libertarianism, but I wasn't, I wasn't like I was still full on human rights is what led me out of the Republican Party. And then the human rights led me out of conservatism. And and I, not just through gay rights, which was really it initially, but what really pushed me over the edge, and it's been over the course of the last five, six years, to be a progressive, to consider myself a progressive, is racial equality. Is um, first the identification of that white privilege was a real thing and having it explained to me in a way that really hit home and then being curious enough to go and read and understand black history in America, that's what did it. Here's a better question, though, that will ans- that will help you answer Chris's question, because I don't think all of that is answering Chris's question. So let's say that you had your agency to shift your political orientation starting at age 18, right? Because you were indoctrinated with a, a particular political affiliation yeah, yeah. in childhood. You kind of carried that into adulthood. So like, let's start the clock at 18 related to your agency where you could have changed your political affiliation but didn't. What kept you identifying as a Republican registered in the Republican Party for over a decade after that point. Mm, it was probably slightly less than that, but um, 
it would have been adherence to what I believe the Constitution said. Right. So it's the, it's like the technicality of the rules. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that well, the, if, uh, like Obamacare, I was opposed to it in the very beginning. Right. I still, and I wish we would just switch over to Medicaid for all, but um, I believe that it's not constitutionally allowed. We are, we are bound by this set of rules, and I was... A, a rabid adherent to what I believe those rules were, which would be really having been brought up in um, an originalist textual type of understanding of the Constitution, not the living, breathing document that it is. So that's what it is. It's really just being um, a stickler for what you believe the rules are rather than the value of human life and the human experience and what can the government do as an agent of change, as an agent of assistance for people's lives? Yeah. Does that answer it better? For sure. And that's kind of what I was getting at, because when people ask that question of, and Carissa, I think, is asking a question that a lot of people ask of, like, I can't even see the other side. Like, this seems so obvious to me. I care about people. This is how I want to care about people. Well, Republicans have a different set of values that they're viewing the world from. Sure, yeah. And you kind of spoke to it right there. This lens through the Constitution. Many conservatives care more about authority than than uh, liberals Fairness. do, right? This kind of goes to Jonathan Haidt's moral foundations theory, touching on that a little bit, the differences between liberals and conservatives in terms of just their value system and how that informs what they care about. Um, I, I kind of have an example of this where I'm going to share a little personal detail that... Um, <laughs> My dad actually was just released from prison, um, 54 days shy of a 16-year sentence. Hours ago, this happened. And this has been something that informs my views, for example, on crime and punishment. So even though I've, I've been liberal in my orientation pretty much my entire life, I was always very supportive of the death penalty and very, I mean, when I would talk about issues related to the justice system, I would sound conservative. Yeah, And yeah. it's because of my personal experiences, being a victim of violent crime, having a parent who's incarcerated, that I wanted to be incarcerated, that should be incarcerated, that should still be incarcerated, uh, but is not. And luckily, I've had people in my life tell me that it isn't just about my personal experiences. But your experience doesn't generalize to the population and everyone else's experience. Right. And just because these things have happened to me, just because I've experienced these things, there's all kinds of other human experiences out there that I should consider in order to inform my worldview sure, and make it more accurate. And so I've come around. I, I don't support the death penalty anymore. I am supportive of rehabilitation efforts, and I, I am more in line, I think, with liberal orientation when it comes to justice issues. Now, am I all the way there on everything yet? No, but I do check myself more intently because I know that it's kind of like a personal deal for me. It's, yeah. it's my bias coming up. So that's another example of how we just kind of grow up in ways where we're informed and it's it's not like we we suck or we don't care about people <laughs> in some cases it is that we, yeah. we're just dicks right but 
in other cases, it's we've had this specific personal experience that has created this worldview. And we might not even know that we're kind of being callous in some ways. It's just the way that we view things based on our personal experience. So it's helpful when you know people like Carissa, when you know people like Jesse D here, uh, who help shift your worldview. And that's what hopefully the show is about, too. Absolutely. We hope that that's what the show is about. One, to model, I don't want to say model good behavior, but to model behavior that is indicative of the fact that, and I mean the fact that, you can indeed change your opinion over time. Yeah. Given the right circumstances, given the right facts, given the right idea or outlook on things. It's like, for instance, in the coming days, I'm going to do a a video about reparations, which I'm fully in support of for uh, African descendants of slaves. And I'm... That is something that uh, in the script that I'm going to read, I go through, and you know, hopefully in a subtle way, but hopefully kind of direct, and and um, make arguments that I believe would have changed my mind. Hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. hopefully someone will give it the time to listen to it and say, oh, yeah, I never really looked at it that way. Right. But the things that I talk about were some of the things that opened my eyes to change my mind about the issue, not just about reparations, but about matters of race in general. Yeah. Well, and I think that also takes being able to recognize that you were wrong in the past, which can sometimes be vulnerable and people don't want to do that because it can be tough to admit that we were wrong, but we have to do that in order to make those important shifts in our worldview to help us keep growing and getting better as people. Um, And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're using those arguments that would have convinced you because in that you're acknowledging I used to be wrong. These are the things that convinced me. These things might help other people come around to a more correct way of thinking. You're making me want to edit the script now and maybe say something just like that. Mm -hmm. That very thing is, look, I didn't used to believe this. I do believe it now. And these are some of the things that made me change my mind. Yeah. Well, now I need to mark this spot on the time. Oh, good. And uh, Co-writer's credit, Brittany Page. Let's not go crazy. Well, I just contributed some writing. (laughs) I just contributed to that script, so. I'll forward you the script. You can make your edits, and then you can be a (laughs) co-writer. Anyway, Carissa. That seems like too much work. Anyway, Carissa. Oh, sorry. (laughs) We love and appreciate you so much. Uh, Carissa is a long time early adopter of the program Mm -hmm. so we appreciate it very much all right if you too would like to sound off we'd love to hear from you if you're someone who's never called in before we'd love to hear from you 657-464-7609 of course you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com i doubt it is an independent podcast supported by listeners like you via patreon Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you find the show informative, entertaining, or both, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon and choose the contribution level that's right for you. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters. Yes. Nick. Nick. Christopher R. Christopher R. And Keith C. Keith C. Thank you so much for your beautiful support on Patreon. Listen, we are making our way through the 
Patreon list. Fat stack of envelopes. Fat stack of envelopes. We have made our way through a third of the Patreon supporters and sent out the envelopes. So they're they're in the mail as of today, a third of them. So they're going to start going out. We're going to send the, the rest of them by this next weekend. So everyone should start checking their mailboxes with glee, expecting a beautiful treat, a beautiful present. So exciting. We hope that you will take pictures of the stickers. Let us know where they end up. Tag us on social media. Don't forget that. Do that. Yes, actually do it. Don't just read it in the envelope, but actually do it. We also want to give a shout out to Jack. Jack in, I believe, Tacoma, right? Yeah, that's right. Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, he sent us a beautiful housewarming gift. I don't know if he intended for it to be a housewarming gift, but it ended up being a housewarming gift. Since we did just move. (laughs) Yeah, since we just moved. And this was from uh, Amazon, so we got a little gift note here. Bought with Trump dollars just for your pleasure. Use the brush as a scepter. Love you guys. Elfman Jack. Elfman Jack. And what is this brush that you're talking about? Well, it is a Donald Trump toilet brush (laughs) with uh, yellow. The brush is his yellow hair. That's right. And then there's a little Donald Trump figurine under the brush. And then it also came with a roll of Donald Trump toilet paper. An actual roll of toilet paper with his dumb face printed on every single sheet. Yes. So that is... So you can wipe your ass with Donald Trump's face. <laughs> so thank you to Elfman Jack for that beautiful gift. And he's Elfman Jack, by the way, because he creates these beautiful elves that we also have in the house displayed. So thank you, Jack. We very much appreciate you. We appreciate all of the listeners, all of the Patreon supporters. You guys are the reason that we do this. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, last time on the show we didn't get to this, and I wanted to talk about it, even though it's not super current. I don't. They've kind of died off in this doing what what, what is bothering me, and it's this move to rehabilitate QAnon people. Mm. Uh, Anderson Cooper did an interview, a clip from which we're going to play right now. Yeah. Chris Cuomo did one. Don Lemon did one. I don't know if the other networks have, have done it because I don't primarily watch the other ones that much. But there's this move to, oh, they used to be a QAnon. Now they're not. Oh, wh- what changed your mind? What brought you back into the fold of rationality Yeah, when that's not what happened? Yeah, maybe they don't believe in QAnon, but these people still have the dangerous inclination to believe insane and dangerous things. That's to something, promote those type of things. That's something that has been missing from the interviews for me is questions surrounding their continued vulnerability related to believing conspiracy theories. I mean, if you were going to be a person who falls for QAnon, what does that say about what you could possibly fall for in the future? Yeah. And and that's kind of what I'm more interested in when I watch these is do these people, obviously they know the error of their ways specifically related to QAnon now, but have they figured out how to catch themselves going down this path next time? Have they educated themselves on logical thinking about how to, yeah. how to figure yeah. out when something is a conspiracy, when something seems too good to be true? Have they made an effort well, related to that? Part of the part of the thing that bothers me a lot is that that it's not it's not the question's never asked like what brought you out of it 
Mm-hmm. I mean, not really, because when they say, well, the, the prophecies of whatever, the predictions never came through, and I was like, oh, well, this must not be true. The, still, the, the question's still not asked of, yeah, but you believe there were Satan worshipers eating and drinking the blood of children to imbue themselves with power from adrenochrome. I mean, you you believe some insane things. What about that stuff? Right. Was that so believable and the prophecies are what led you? Ast- I mean, come on. Anyway, so there's this clip. It, it really it tickled you, Brittany. And it is kind of funny. Yeah. But uh, there's something more sinister here that really does need to be dealt with. Did you at the time believe that Democrat, high level Democrats and celebrities were worshiping Satan, drinking the blood of children? Anderson, I thought you did that. And I would like to apologize for that right now. So I apologize for thinking that you ate babies. Um, But yeah. 100%. 100%. You actually, but, you, but you, actually, you actually believe that I was drinking the blood of children? Yes, I did. Was it something about me that made you think that? It's because <laughs> Q specifically mentioned you, and he mentioned you very early on. Um, he mentioned you by name, and from there, if he also talked about, like, for example, like your family... But yeah, and I, I've, I'm going to be honest, like people still talk about that to this day. I, I, there's, there, there were posts about that just four days ago. So some people thought you were a robot. You really believed this? I didn't just believe that. I, at one stage, believed that uh, Q Anon was part of military intelligence, which is what he says. But on top of that, that the, the people behind them were actually a group of fifth dimensional intradimensional extraterrestrial bipedal bird aliens called blue avians. I was so far down in this conspiracy black hole that I was essentially picking and choosing whatever narrative that I wanted to believe in. So this, the the question from Anderson specifically reminded me of something that happened when I was 16 And I was going for a job interview and I was on a panel. There were other interviewees there with me. And the manager of the place I was interviewing for singled me out and asked me if I would be willing to clean bathrooms like toilets. And I lied and said I would be willing to do it. And um, it was weird to me that no one else was asked that question, though. And I before I went into the interview, my mom had told me that it, it looks good if you ask the interviewers a question. It shows your interest. She didn't give me any any advice on like what kind of question to ask. Just like it's good if you ask a question. And so it came that time at the end of the interview to ask a question. And I went to that manager and I said, uh, yeah, I was just like, was there something special about me specifically that you think I would want to clean toilets or why did you ask me that question? Yeah. And they laughed and I ended up hearing from one of the other managers after that when I got hired that they hired me because of the the funny response that yeah, I gave. Yeah. But I was being serious. I really wanted to know, like, what is it about me that you think I want to clean these toilets? Just like Anderson asked. But was it something... About me that you thought I drank yeah. <laughs> children's blood? Yeah, and what a weird thing to have to respond to well, in a serious way. What a weird thing uh, also that these QAnon people, they hold Donald Trump a- up as some kind of 
of genius, 12-dimensional chess-playing god, this emperor king. This last week, Donald Trump wrote a letter to the president of SAG-AFTRA. Oh, God. The union that represents actors. And um, I thought this was a joke. He, resi- he resigned from the union because they were going to hold disciplinary hearings to remove him from the union anyway because, you know, trying to subvert the democracy and everything. Yeah, and he's like, you can't fire me. I quit. So I, I want to read the letter, but I want to read the letter under the guise of this is someone that these QAnon people still hold at like deity level regard. Yeah. That he was, he is at the, the forefront of mass arrests that were going to take place for all of these Hollywood pedophiles. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still think this is going to happen. Many of them still think that on like March 4th or 5th, the real inauguration is going to happen and Donald Trump is going to take his place as the president once again. So this is going to be like the end times prophecies. They're going to keep pushing the date back. That's right. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So this is, um, I write you today, I write to you today regarding the so-called disciplinary committee hearing aimed at revoking my union membership. Ooh. Who cares? Exclamation point. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who cares? He's taking the time to write out this letter yes. in response to them, but who cares? That's right. Yeah. Five paragraphs. I mean, four Three substantive ones and then like four four or five other sentences. While I'm not familiar with your work, I'm very proud of my work on movies such as Home Alone 2, (laughs) Zoolander, and Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, (laughs) and television shows including... Get ready for the list of television shows. Okay. And television shows including... The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Saturday Night Live, and of course, one of the most successful shows in television history, The Apprentice. No. Just to name a few, exclamation points. Mm -hmm. I've also greatly helped the cable news television business, said to be, parenthetically here, said to be a dying platform with not much time left until I got involved in politics. Sure, sure. Closed parentheses, Mm -hmm. and created thousands of jobs at networks such as MSDNC (laughs) and Fake News CNN, all capitalized letters. What a nightmare. Capitalized first words, among many others. He's a job creator. Which brings me to your blanket, your blatant attempt at free media attention. Oh. Because SAG-AFTRA is looking for media attention. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me to your blatant, your blatant attempt at free media attention to distract from your dismal record as a union. Mm. Your organization has done little for its members and nothing for me besides collecting dues and promoting dangerous un-American policies and ideas. As evident by your massive unemployment rates and lawsuits from, sev- from celebrated actors who even recorded a video asking... Why isn't the union fighting for me? I wonder who recorded that video. Interesting. So he cares about lawsuits in this situation, but when he's the target of a lawsuit, it's likely frivolous, doesn't matter, shouldn't have anything to do with his character. Absolutely. Yeah, got it. These, however, are policy failures. Your disciplinary failures are even more egregious. Mm. I no longer wish to be associated with your union 
As such, this letter is to inform you of my immediate resignation from SAG-AFTRA. Oh. You have done nothing for me. Regards, Donald Trump signed with his giant jackass signature, President Donald J. Trump. And then actually on the on the on the on the paper, on the on the stationery, it looks to be at first glance the the emblem, the 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 seal of the President of the United States. But when you compare them side by side, it's there are a lot of differences. So he's not using the actual seal of the president. But does that mean he had something created to look as much as possible yes, like absolutely. the presidential seal? That's right. Yep. The office of Donald J. Trump, February 4th. Yeah. Well, who cares? Am I right? Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, he cares so little that this is the letter that he produced. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the guy that they worship. They love. They, they, they give... So much credit to for so many things that he has nothing to do with or that really didn't happen anyway. Yeah. For instance, this week on Newsmax, which apparently is like a TV channel now, not just a fringe magazine and a, and a website. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their anchors used to be a Fox News person, an yeah. actual anchor on Fox News. And she came over and this is about Donald Trump and what he's done for Christians. Welcome back to American Agenda. I'm Heather Childers. Uh, There's this new column that we want to talk about right now. It's in Vox, uh, and it's calling Donald Trump's presidency, the former president, a catastrophe for American Christianity. This despite the fact that President Trump, the former president, gained plenty of support with the Christian community during his presidency, especially with evangelicals. Joining us now is the author of the book, Life Changing, Rachel Hamm. She's also the host of the Rachel Ham show. Thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. We appreciate it. Uh, I'll just start with the obvious question. Was the uh, Trump presidency, in fact, a catastrophe for Christianity? Well, I have to laugh. Uh, President Trump was the best thing to happen to the Christian church in America since maybe Jesus. So, yeah, that's ridiculous. I read the article. I thought, if it weren't, I don't know. I didn't know if he actually believed the things he was saying, but he is not in touch with what the evangelical church thinks at all. So the article that they're referencing in Vox, first of all, it's it's not a column. I think that's what she called it. She said it's a column. It's actually an interview with David French, who is promoting a book that that he wrote. And they're talking about the the controversy within the Christian movement now that Donald Trump is no longer president sure. and and how his presidency has divided Christians um, since he was president. And you have people like Franklin Graham, who apparently just two weeks ago said that Republican officials who voted for Trump's impeachment, um, they're like Judas. He called them, <laughs> he equated them to Judas. Yeah, right. And uh, wow. in this article, they reference a prominent Christian radio host who told Donald Trump a few weeks after the 2020 election that he'd be happy to die in this fight. This is a fight for everything. So two prominent Christians, you, yeah. you're getting the language there. But it's important to point out that by the time Donald Trump left office, the only prominent Christian group that he had vocal majority in was white evangelicals. Right, right. White evangelical Christians. So when these two are talking about how he was so great for Christianity, um, they're talking about white Christian nationalists. That's right. Those are the people who still love Donald Trump, whose approval went up because you have white Catholics. He actually lost ground with them. And 
white mainline Protestants, they did have an increase in favorable views from 2016 to 2020, but it wasn't statistically significant, according to the Public Religion Research Institute. So I think their focus really needs to be not Christianity as a whole, <laughs> right? but white evangelical Christians. Yeah, she did make the, the only qualifier she made was Christi- the Christian church in America. But still, that doesn't mean white people, but that's what she's saying. Yes. And this Rachel Ham person, by the way. Well, first of all, let's deal with one other element of what she talked about. And then I want to talk about who she is. She doesn't have the Rachel Ham show. She has a YouTube channel and with like 20,000 subscribers. Well, you know, it's great. 20,000 subscribers. But it's not like she has like a real television program. Well, they should. kind of how they purported it. Well, and that gives her, uh, using Roxanne's phrase, a veneer of authenticity. That's right. Where she's able to have this Chiron pop up and give her more credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make her appear more authoritative than she actually is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when she says that Donald Trump has done more for the Christian church in America since maybe since Jesus. <laughs> It, it, well, it's interesting because like she wouldn't credit Martin Luther with doing more for the Christian church, the kind of Christian church she's talking about, which would be Protestantism. Mm-hmm. Or even if you want to talk about like Billy Graham, Donald Trump has done more for the Christian church in America than someone who actually goes out and proselytizes and saves souls for the church. Mm-hmm. No. Donald Trump has done more than someone like that who actually increases the numbers of Christians who are having their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life and entering the gates of heaven when they die. Get the fuck out of here. That is just, it should be, listen, if you're a Christian out there and you're a Trump supporter, I'm talking to the air because I'm assuming no one fits that bill who listens to the show with any regularity. This should offend you. This should be an offensive comment that this Rachel Ham made. But let's talk about who she is. Brittany and I sat and listened to maybe five minutes of her YouTube programming. It was fun. And, uh, I mean, come on. Here's, here's a clip from her show. Okay, I'm going to do my very best to articulate what's going on inside of me. I have so much swirling, so Lord, help me to articulate everything. So, last night, last night was January 19th. 2021, I was heading to bed feeling, quite honestly, pretty discouraged. God normally speaks to me through dreams a lot, and I haven't been dreaming. It's been really bothering me. So I went to bed, and I said, Lord, please, please, please give me a dream. Speak to me about what's happening in our country and encourage me. Go to sleep. Sleep fantastic. Praise God. And I have a dream. So I wake up from the dream and I I was like, okay, well, I technically did get a dream. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for a good night's sleep. Appreciate that. But the dream had nothing to do with what's going on in the country. So thanks anyway, but that's not what I asked for. But okay, just kind of felt a little disappointed. So I'm sitting there drinking my coffee and the Lord kind of, there was kind of a, a corrective tone. And it was like, look again. And I'm like, look again. He said, look at your dream. So I'm going to tell you the dream, and then I'm going to tell you what he, what he showed me about it. I had a dream that I was setting a table in this dining room, which was my dining room, not in real life. It looked completely different, but the walls were blue. There was a blue dresser 
in the dining room and then there was a table with two table settings and uh, an arrangement in the middle of the table and I was having my friend Nicole over for lunch. That's some quality YouTube content. <laughs> Who wants to hear about somebody's dream? It was my dining room, but it wasn't my real dining room alive. It was just my dry, the dream dining room. And then this this piece of furniture was blue. And then, but oh, did you did you hear God. the part? Did you hear the part where Nicole came over? <laughs> I think you missed that part. My favorite part of this was when she's talking about how she's addressing God, her God, her Savior, the creator of everything seen and unseen. And she asked him for something, and she didn't get it the way she wanted it. So she says to the creator of the universe, So thanks anyway, but... (laughs) Thanks anyway, God. I wanted a dream when you talked to me, but thanks anyway. What is happening? I don't know. This is the person that knew... This is the expert that Newsmax has on to talk about Donald Trump's relationship with the Christian church. Yeah. Well, and I mean, think about the Newsmax audience who is hearing Rachel Ham say, so thanks anyway, but Donald Trump has done more for Christianity than probably since Jesus. No one has done more for Christ- the Christian church in America than, I mean, no one other than Jesus. Yeah. Donald Trump has done more. Pretty, pretty remarkable. <laughs> so great. Seriously, I mean, come on. Coming from an authority. These people. Th- this is someone who's being raised up as an expert, as an authority on the matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They couldn't get Franklin Graham, who is still a Donald Trump nutter butter. Come on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about that. 657-464-7609. Email us. I doubt it at dollamore.com. The other thing that happened this week, in more relatively serious news, it's still dealing with nutter butters, and that's the Republican Party and how they've chosen to address the issues surrounding Marjorie Taylor Greene, who believes that the California wildflowers in 2018 were caused by Jews firing lasers from space to start those fires, who believes that 9-11 was an inside job, that the, there was no plane. The, actually, there wasn't even a plane that flew into the Pentagon. She believes that all the school shootings are false flags, that they, are only, they only serve to hype up people to create gun control laws. But no one actually dies. There was actually no shooting at all, including Sandy Hook, where dozens of children, young elementary school children, were slaughtered. Where Parkland, there were 17 fatalities. What does it say about the state of the Republican Party that she was elected? Well, if you ask Liz Cheney, who we're going to talk about, she denies that there's anything wrong. No, that doesn't represent the Republican Party. Mm. When that woman got a standing ovation. Right. When the Republicans, after or before, just before their vote to... to, Remove her from her committees, whether they should do so. They voted no, we're not going to do that. And they gave her a standing ovation. Yeah. Meanwhile, Liz Cheney faced a vote also on whether to remove her from her leadership position. That vote went down. But over 60 members of the House Republican Caucus voted to remove her from her post. Over 60. That's a 
third of the Republican conference. Mm-hmm. It does represent the Republican Party. I mean, it would seem so if we're going to base people's, if we're going to base our judgments on people's actions. The vast majority of the Republican caucus voted to overturn the results of the free and fair election that just took place. This is the Republican Party. Anyway, I've, I, we've isolated three clips from this interview on Fox News with Chris Wallace. And they're worth listening to because it's not just about what Liz Cheney's opinion is. It's about... Where we go next with the Republican Party? Does it bother you that there was more open outrage among House Republicans to your vote to impeach the president, a vote of conscience, as you say, than to the years of misstatements by Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene? Look, I think that, first of all, with respect to Congresswoman Greene, uh, we've all been very clear. Uh, the things that she has said don't have any place in our public discourse. Uh, and, and we, as the Republican Conference, should deal with that issue. We should have dealt with it. That's not something that the Democrats should be addressing on the floor of the House. We should have dealt with that. Uh, with respect to where we are as a party, I think that the vote uh, in conference made very clear. We are the party of Lincoln. We are not the party of QAnon or anti-Semitism or Holocaust deniers or uh, white supremacy or conspiracy theories. That's not who we are. Uh, we believe in conservative principles and conservative values, and we believe in the Constitution. You're not the party of Q or anti-Semitism or Holocaust deniers or white supremacy or conspiracy theories. Really, Liz, you're not that party. Because when we look at the Democrats, there's not a rife problem with those issues, with people uh, believing those lies and those hatreds in the Democratic Party. But it's, it's a, it is a cancer within the Republican Party. It is a theme of your members to not just be QAnon people, but yeah, to be anti-Semitic, to be Holocaust deniers, to be white supremacists. To believe in conspiracies, even white supremacy conspiracies. Well, and does she think she's winning this battle because she can say what she wants to say about what she hopes for the Republican Party? But does she feel she's winning this battle right now? Because if you look to what the Republican Party is doing... It, it doesn't seem like she is. I mean, she's not being protected by the Republican Party with yeah. her views. And who are the most prominent figures in the Republican Party right now? I mean, you have people Matt like... Gates. Right. <laughs> the, Matt Gates. The no sport coat guy. Um, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. Yeah. So I yeah. couldn't remember his name. It's like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon all over again. <laughs> Um, but that, that I think would be the real question for Liz Cheney is how long does she, does she think she's going to hold on to these ideas? And ultimately, is there a line where things are going to be crossed and she realizes, okay, yeah, I'm not winning this battle that I I don't know what's happening to the Republican party. And has that line already been crossed and she's just not admitting it to herself? Well, it's the same question I ask when I see people like John Kasich, who still considers himself a Republican. It's like, why? 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 This is the party of hatred. This is the party of voter suppression. This is the party of racism and bigotry and conspiracies. This isn't the party of America. This isn't the party of Americans. Why do you still consider yourself a Republican? At the very least, be no party affiliation. They're cowards. 
Second clip. And that the single greatest threat to our republic is a president who would put his own self-interest uh, above the Constitution, above the national interest. You know, we, we've had a situation where President Trump claimed for months that the election was stolen and then apparently set about to do everything he could to steal it himself. Uh, and that ended up in an attack on the Capitol. Uh, five people killed that day. Uh, that's the kind of attack that can never happen again. Our institutions held, uh, but we all have an obligation to make sure that they continue to do so. Uh, and and don't look past what happened on January 6th. We, we, it was you know just over just a month ask, ago. I just want to ask you one more question about January 6th. When you voted to impeach the president, uh, you said this. He, quote, summoned this mob assembled the mob and lit the flame of this attack. Everything that followed was his doing. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. Congressman, Congresswoman, one of the things you certainly are is a straight talker. Would you vote to convict President Trump of incitement of insurrection? If I were in the Senate, I would obviously listen to the evidence. Uh, I think that that's the role the Senate has as jurors. I would also point out, though, Chris, that, that the Senate trial is a snapshot. There is a massive criminal investigation underway. There will be a massive criminal investigation of everything that happened uh, on January 6th and in the days before. People will want to know exactly what the president was doing. They will want to know, for example, whether the tweet that he sent out calling Vice President Pence a coward uh, while the attack was underway, whether that tweet for example, was a, a premeditated effort to provoke violence. There are a lot of questions that have to be answered, and there will be many, many criminal investigations looking at every aspect of this, at everyone who was involved, uh, as there should be. But, but I stand firmly by my statement. Uh, we, we've never seen uh, that kind of an assault by a president of the United States on another branch of government, uh, and that can never happen again. So, so just to press that, if you were in the Senate, would you vote to convict? If I were in the Senate, I would listen to the, the testimony. I would listen to the evidence. Uh, if you're a senator, you have a responsibility to, to be a juror, and I think that's very important. Uh, but I, I obviously believe and, and did then that what we already know is enough for his impeachment. Uh, what we already know does constitute the, the gravest uh, violation of his oath of office by any president in the history of the country. Uh, and, and this is not something that we can simply look past or pretend didn't happen or, or try to move on. We've got to make sure this never happens again. So as she backs away and tries to slyly avoid the question in a cowardice fashion, might I add, of what she would do, whether she would convict Donald Trump, she is trying to disassociate Donald Trump from the Republican Party. A president of the United States has never done something like this, blah, blah, blah. He, he for months... Uh, threatened that the, the election was trying to be stolen and then did everything in his power to steal the election himself, she says. Donald Trump's the leader of the Republican Party who throughout his entire term as president of the United States enjoyed 90 plus percent approval ratings amongst Republicans. This is your party, Liz Cheney. This is your party. And what do you mean you're going to listen to the evidence? If you were in the United States Senate, Liz Cheney, you'd be in the very unique position of being a juror on a case. Let's say this. Liz Cheney is in a gas station. 
She's in there in a convenience store. And a, a, an armed robber comes in and holds the place at gunpoint and steals money. And this wouldn't happen. But by chance in this particular fantasy case, she gets called onto the jury in this case. Hmm. She wouldn't need to hear the evidence. She was there at the scene of the fucking crime. She was there at the scene of the crime. The Senate was there at the scene of the crime. They don't need to see the evidence. Let's see what they say. We'll weigh the evidence because we're being jurors. They were there. They know what happened. They witnessed what happened. Well, and she's already going to great lengths to paint the problems that she has with Donald Trump in clear view. And she can't say that. Right. what she would ultimately vote. And and I don't understand why that is. Well, right now there's this 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 talk about whether or not they should call Donald Trump as a witness. Why don't you call every member of the Senate as a witness? Why don't you call every member of the House of Representatives as a witness? They were there. They know what happened. This is nonsense. Anyway, the interview does continue and there are some nuggets in here. I, I want to pick up on on because you criticized at the very beginning, you criticized Democrats for voting uh, to strip Marjorie Taylor Greene of all of her committees uh, after the House voted this week to, to remove her from those committees. You issued a statement and you said this. Speaker Pelosi and the Democrat majority have no business determining which Republicans sit on committees. But but Congresswoman, your GOP caucus debated this issue and ended up giving Congresswoman Green a standing ovation. So can you really blame Democrats for moving to act when the House Republican Caucus didn't? Uh, we, we should have, Chris. This is exactly the kind of issue that we should address inside of our conference. Uh, you know, if you get into a situation where whoever has the majority in the House decides who sits on committees from both parties, you might as well not have anybody in the minority on any committees. So uh, it should not have gotten to the point that it did. I don't believe that the Democrats have any business determining who, who uh, from the Republicans sits on committees. Uh, but we should have dealt with it ourselves. And, and I think it's, uh, it's very important that we're absolutely clear that, that those views and those those beliefs do not have any place in our public discourse. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll want to see action now from Congresswoman Green, uh, you know, that backs up the kinds of, of words that we've seen over the last few days and, and the kinds of apologies. But uh, we have to be very clear that's not who we are as a party. I mean, that, of course, is the question is whether it is who you are as a party or not, because all of this gets to where the GOP is. Here was Congresswoman Green's defense on the House floor this week. Take a look. I never said any of these things since I have been elected for Congress. These were words of the past, and these things do not represent me. You see, school shootings are absolutely real. I also want to tell you 9-11 absolutely happened. You say that, that her opinions have, your words, no place in the party, but she said this week that she raised $330,000 in 48 hours and that President Trump supports her. And I want to remind you that just the week before last, your House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, met with Mr. Trump at Mar-a-Lago and said the former president will campaign for Republicans in the 2022 elections. So the question is, is this still the party 
of Donald Trump? And does Marjorie Taylor Greene still hold a solid place in that party? Chris, we're the party of Abraham Lincoln. We're the party of Ronald Reagan. Uh, we have to really take a hard look at who we are and what we stand for, what we believe in. Uh, I think it, when you look at both uh, his actions leading up to what happened on January 6th, uh, the fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that, that uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate, uh, we have to be in a position where we can say we stand for principles, we stand for ideals. Uh, somebody who uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes, uh, which resulted in five people dying, who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence. Uh, that, that is a person who does not have a role as a leader of our party going forward. We have to make sure that we uh, are able to convey to the American voters we are the party of responsibility, we are the party of truth, uh, that we actually can be trusted to handle the challenges this nation faces like COVID. Uh, and, and that's going to require us to focus on substance and policy and issues going forward. But, but we should not be in Embracing the former president. The former right. Republican president. He's not just the former president, Liz Cheney. He's the former Republican president. And for as hard as you're kicking and screaming, we're not the party of Donald Trump. We're, we're the party of Abraham Lincoln. And Ronald Reagan. And we're the party of Ronald Reagan. She's right about a few things there. Well, she's wrong about a lot, but she's right about them being the party of, of Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. In no way, shape, or form, or fashion are they the party of Abraham Lincoln. Not a fucking chance. They are the party of Ronald Reagan. They are the party of Donald Trump. Absolutely, they are. Mm -hmm. But they haven't been the party of, of, of Abraham Lincoln for damn near a century. That is absurd. And that that doesn't represent who we are. We 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 we're the party of responsibility and truth. Are you high? The party of responsibility and truth. You haven't held Donald Trump responsible for anything over the course of four years when he was president. No responsibility. He tried to extort a foreign leader to interfere in, a, in this upcoming election that we just underwent. No responsibility. Not a single Republican held him to account in the House of Representatives during his first impeachment. That's not the, the, the party of responsibility. Get out of here. Well, and even when she talks about the importance of Republicans getting back to power... I mean, which faction of the Republican Party does she ultimately want in power? She's not even acknowledging the problem. Right. She's trying to dismiss it out of hand. So how is she going to fix the problem that exists when she's not even acknowledging that the problem exists? It is. It's, it's um, one on one hand for me, it is uh, makes me happy because this is the death it's a slower death than I anticipated when Donald Trump got the nomination in 2016. But it is, it, it is the death of the Republican Party. Because they're not even like trying to shy away now. Like with this Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff. Hmm. Because they, they, they let her give her speech on the floor of the House where she says, those were words of the past. Do you notice she put emphasis 
on words. Yeah. I didn't. They were just words mm-hmm. of the past. I'd love to know from her, and I think we as the American people are owed an explanation of what do you believe now? Yeah. She's like, I haven't said any of those things since I was elected. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Right. And what? Perfect. <laughs> also, why don't you believe those things anymore? Why did you believe them and why don't you believe them now? Right. Because you certainly believed them then. And the same question that I've been wanting these people to ask the former QAnon believers is what's going to prevent you from believing these things again in the future? Yes. What has changed in your ability exactly. to process information? To prevent this from happening again. Listen, if you're if you're a rando, you're a bank teller or something. It's less press. It's less pressing that we know the answer to the question. But when you're an elected member of Congress who gets to vote on legislation and policy that will affect the lives of hundreds of millions of people, billions of people related to some foreign policy matters. We need to know. Listen, there's, and here's the other thing. And then we're going to move on. We got a good asshole today. The Republicans now are saying, and Liz Cheney said it several times in this interview, that, well, you know, if the, the Democrats, it's none of their business. We can't allow them to choose, you know, any majority that's in power. We can't allow them to choose what, who sits on committees from the other party? That's not happening. That's not at issue. Because if the Democrats just wanted to not have every asshole or nutter butter have a committee spot, there wouldn't be a Jim Jordan on a committee, nor, nor a committee chairman like he was. There wouldn't be a Matt Gates on a committee or a Louis Gohmert on a committee or a Paul Goss, Gossor. Gossor. What's, um, Paul Gosar. Is his name the Arizona whack job? I couldn't save you. I was I was going off a cliff. Democrats would, if that was what they wanted to do, disallow all of them, disqualify all of them from committees. This is a, a completely different case than than what she's trying to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. That well, if you let the majority choose who the minorities of the committee, shut your mouth. No one's trying to do that. This is a dangerous individual who you wanted on the education committee who didn't believe that school shootings were real. Well, she believes they're real now. Now, magically. A few months later. Magically, she does. Yeah. She also, like I mentioned last time, said, I don't know if it was last. I get everything mixed up. Um, that this is Donald Trump's Republican Party. It belongs to no one else. Mm-hmm. That's... It's weird, weird talk. <laughs> Wild stuff. Anyway. Uh, look where we are, Brittany. Look where we are. <laughs> We're at the end of the show. It's the asshole of today. Maria Montessori Academy in Utah. Maria Montessori Academy in Utah. They allowed parents to opt out of Black History Month curriculum. Mm, I just... I don't know enough about this. I know the headline. What's the... 
do I want? What's the reason? So the director of the academy is. And, is uh, it, did your dad automatically get a job as soon as he got out of prison? <laughs> is he now the director of this Montessori school? No, but we'll get to that in a second. So uh, the director had initially announced their decision to allow students not to participate in a private Facebook page. The director wrote that he, quote, reluctantly sent a letter to families that would allow them to, quote, exercise their civil rights to not participate in Black History Month at the school. This was wow. This decision was initiated because, quote, a few families had asked that they not be forced to participate in some of the activities in the curriculum. The director of the academy has declined, by the way, to tell reporters the exact number of parents who requested having their students opt out, who expressed concerns about the curriculum. And there was some swift backlash to this reporting, rightfully so. And the Maria Montessori Academy has reversed their decision. And and they're no longer going to allow parents to opt out. Now, the statement is still a little concerning for me. So let me read it to you. I was was getting ready to amend the proclamation of asshole of today to be asshole-ish of today. But let's hear the statement before I make that determination. We regret that after receiving requests, an opt-out form was sent out concerning activities planned during this month's celebration. We are grateful that families that initially had questions and concerns have willingly come to the table to resolve any differences, and at this time, no families are opting out of our planned activities, and we have removed this option. In the future, we will handle all parental concerns on an individual basis. So it sounds a little to me, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Sounds a little bit to me like maybe the school adjusted some of the things that were in the curriculum in order to make the parents more comfortable that were expressing concerns surrounding Black History Month. Although they could just be saying that is a way to illustrate to people interested that they made some sort of corrective action in order to remove the opting out as a possible option for parents. Or maybe they're just saying they're, oh, they can't opt out anymore, but they really can. I mean, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Let me say this to these parents in Utah and the, those around the country. If you don't, I mean, I can only assume what kind of a curriculum is being taught in Black History Month in a history class. It's American history. It's also Utah. If you don't want your kid to learn about black history, you don't want him to learn about American history. Oh, sorry. We were having two different points there. Yes. Uh, I was bringing up the fact that it's Utah as it's probably, it's still probably not going to be super accurate. Well, because the Mormon church believes that white people are white and delightsome and those with darker skin are not white and delightsome, which is a phrase used in multiple places in the Book of Mormon. Well, according to this reporting, the Utah State Board of Education says that only three of the 322 students at the academy are black. Who fucking cares? Are they all Americans? Well... Because it's American history, asshole. I'm I'm, I'm citing that, but don't know if you're yelling at me. Of course um, I'm not yelling at you. I'm, I'm citing that to illustrate the overwhelming white majority at yes. the school. yes. And I think it speaks to the discomfort that these white parents probably have in 
uh, Black History Month, which which is very unfortunate because there are still students of color and their history, American history, like you, you keep referencing, should be taught accurately and in full. Yes. And my concerns would be that if there's placating to certain parents' interests and goals with their children's education, then these kids are not going to be getting the listen, full education that they should be getting. Whether they identify their beliefs as white supremacist or not, they are white supremacist beliefs. Because let me tell you something. I There were no black kids in my school growing up. There might have... Oh, there was. There was one black girl at our school. But it doesn't matter. Even if you have an all-white school, black history still needs to be taught because it's American history. And maybe, 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 had I been taught black history in school, it would have hastened my change. It would have opened my eyes. I would have been able to more early develop a sense of empathy for my fellow humans about their struggles. When all I know about is white history, European-based model of American history... It is not a fulsome picture. It is an incomplete outlook on America. Well, and to your point about the white supremacy views, I've always had this idea that my upbringing was somehow radically different because my family had the skinheads over and we went to Aryan nations and we were taught that the Holocaust didn't happen and, and things just seemed so much more overtly racist in my household than compared to my peers like actively right but then I see stories like this and I'm like what really is the difference because my parents had us sit in the hall when we were learning about the American Indians for example you couldn't watch Barney because it was too multicultural right and Sesame Street and Lamb Chop and everything else um so why not Lamb Chop well why would your parents not allow you to watch Lamb Chop What'd well, they say? Lamb Chop was Jewish. That, well, they said Lamb Chop is a Jew. Yeah. That's why your parents... Anyway, I, that's just a funny aside. A sad, tragic aside that I find humorous because they're such idiots. But Yeah, so uh, maybe maybe it isn't all that different, right? If, if these parents are coming forward and saying, like, we want our kids to sit in the hallway and not listen to this stuff about Black History Month because we want to teach them a certain kind of history, a yeah. certain kind of truth in our household. And we don't want them to hear this. I mean, it's the same tactic that my parents used to indoctrinate us. So it's alarming to learn that the... It oh, might be more dangerous. I'm sorry. It might be more dangerous because it's kind of accepted. Like, oh, they're not racist. Right, right. Mm, like your parents, oh, of course. Right. They got pictures of Adolf Hitler in the house. Oh, that's oh, that's that's dangerous. But this is acceptable for sure. This is under the guise of something less pernicious as active, uh, organized white supremacy. Definitely, definitely. I think it's more dangerous for yeah. sure. It is, yeah. And I, it allows people to hide. It allows people to hide undercover and to get by, like you said, on kind of this quiet politeness. Yeah, uh, a veneer. Right, a veneer. A veneer of acceptability. (laughs) Thank you, Roxanne. Yes, thank you, Roxanne. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about these and anything else. Any other stories that are on your mind, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com.
Let me end with this, Brittany. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel sad that we watched not one minute of the Super Bowl? <laughs> I didn't know that the Super Bowl was happening until like three days ago. Uh, actually, that is the case with me. I, when did I get my haircut? Thursday? Yeah. That was the day I found out it was this weekend. Yeah. I did not know. We recorded it while we recorded this while that was happening. Yeah. It could be over right now. <laughs> Probably not right now. I think the halftime show was happening while we were doing the show. Are you watching it secretly? No, I may have been on Facebook maybe, at a time. Maybe you're the asshole of today. I'm definitely not. I'm definitely <laughs> a nice person. Not asshole of today. Anyway, we love you guys. We'd love to have you support us on Patreon. Help produce the show. Help us move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode basis. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash Podcast. Look at the perks. Perks are great, but moreover, you can know that you're helping support. You know, a, a show with uh, a couple of people with, with you know, good, decent, eh, you know, okay hearts who want to inform, who want to change this country for the better. Anyway, we love you on board. Thank you. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.